Welcome to Matter of Fat, a body-positive podcast with Midwest sensibilities. Hi, I'm Kat Palavoda, a local fat feminist, shop owner, and pupusa lover. I'm joined by my co-host and producer, Soraya Bogani. Hi, I'm Soraya. I'm a fat, multiracial, Minneapolitan millennial who is always here for a good podcast wreck, don't Ooh, you? Yeah. True crime? Give it to me. The hottest soft scramble egg trend? I'm all about that. <laughs> Comedians exploring their niche world of comedy. Sure, why not? Um, I'll take a deep dive into multi-level marketing Ooh. schemes, please. The dream. Uh-huh. Get at me. Uh, but also, why you're here. We're here to talk about the cultural politics of fat bodies here in Minneapolis, St. Paul, and the greater Midwest. Season 2, Episode 3. We're doing it. We're in it, and we're loving Season 2, baby. We are, and you are too. Thank you all so much for your kind words, the shared excitement, and, of course, ratings and reviews for this season. We really love and appreciate you all and are just so honored you're listening. Yes, like actually so honored and excited to give the people what they want. Here we go with another ep. Uh, First, we've got to get into the the fat fat dish. dish. It's summer. It's popping. I look outside and there are too many people and dogs compared to just two months ago. (laughs) Accurate. This is my way of saying there are lots of things for us to talk about in this fat dish. As Kat would say, it is robust. I like that word. Yeah, no no shade. It's just a thing. It's a thing. Also, if you've got an event coming up that aligns with the pod, like, let us know. We're happy to share. Uh, But for now, on to the important information. First, no surprise, but don't forget, the Big Fat Super Swap is Saturday, June 15th. Bring a bag. Check the show notes for info. See you there. So we've got some red hot info if you've been thinking about getting into the pod game. Obviously, you can talk with us, but also Matter of Fat will be attending the Podcast Do Nord Conference on June 22nd. It will be a full day of creative, technical, and educational instruction, and we'll link more information into show notes, don't you know? <laughs> okay, I have to give you all an update about the Fat Splash. Yes. I, I know I mentioned in our previous ep that my shop, Cake Plus Size Resale, is putting on our second annual Fat Pool Party this summer. Well, since recording that episode, um, not one, but two. Yep, we had to add a date. Two fat splashes sold out. The first sold out in under 12 hours. The second sold out in less than an hour. Madness. There's 130 tickets for each of them, too. So it's like, it's a pretty large amount. Um, I'm still a little taken aback. Like, it was wild. Pool parties are really having a moment. Um, They've been around for a long time, but I think especially with the release of Shrill, they've really, um, I don't know, they've come into more of our our psyche. Yeah, collective consciousness. to be there. Yes. All Go recently did a roundup of all of the fat pool parties they could get info for on their site. So All Go, spelled A-L-L-G-O, if you don't already know, is a review app where plus-size people can rate the comfort and accessibility of public spaces so others can know what to expect, you know, when they're going there. They put out articles on their blog, and those sometimes include roundups, like the one they recently did about all the fat pool parties they could find. If you're a listener from another part of the U.S., maybe you can find a pool party in your area. Mm-hmm. And it is so nice out. No wonder that pool yes. parties are having a moment. But it's also a good time to explore the Theodore Worth Wildflower Trail with the Fat Girls Hiking Chapter in Minnesota. It's the same day as we release this podcast, June 12th at 6 p.m. It'll be a beautiful Wednesday evening hike. And I, oop, it's me again. (laughs) June is a beautiful month for celebrating as well. Uh, Minnesota hosts one of the largest Juneteenth celebrations in the country. This free community event will be on June 15th at Bethune Park in Minneapolis. Um, Also, Twin Cities Pride is the weekend of June 22nd to the 23rd, so there are lots of events going on about town. 
cat let me know that it's actually earlier this year than usual um, as the Stonewall 50th commemoration and World Pride will be in New York City the last weekend in June. Okay, and I actually only know that because earlier this month I messed up the weekend of Pride and Sydney Walsh set me straight. Sydney's a real one. Thanks, Sydney. Real Life Coffee and Yoga is officially open! Real Life Coffee and Yoga is a body-positive coffee shop and yoga studio owned by friend of the pod, Gabby Ruska. Love her. Uh, we recently got to pop by and say hello and see the space, and we hope that you all get a chance to check it out soon. It's so great and delicious, and it's going to be a great neighborhood spot yes. for sure. Ooh, and now it's time for our personal dish. Mm-hmm. But first, oh. a quick word from our sponsor. Well, oh. well, okay, something like that. Hi, we're just taking a quick break to save room for future sponsors. We're trying to level up, and seeking sponsorship will help us do just that. Level up, level up, level up, level up, level up. Bam, so yummy. Bam, so yummy. You get the picture. It's done. It's done. Stop it. And we're back, just in time to dish about our lives. Soraya, what's new with you? What's new with me? Hmm. Well, I went lawn bowling for the first time ever. Interesting. <laughs> like, that's like the most Minnesotan. Interesting. Truly. So Brit's Pub downtown has a lovely patch of grass on the rooftop where you can catch a football match or enjoy a quick game of lawn bowling and then run inside promptly to avoid getting hit by rain and lightning. In your case? Uh, yeah. I don't. I mean, I don't think that's like the official rules or anything, um, but... It was nice to be outside and enjoying that patio life, you know. Yes. That's such like a Minnesota thing when there's mm-hmm. finally nice weather. It's like, I have to go to a, a little stretch of concrete that has like semi-uncomfortable <laughs> chairs and like overpriced drinks and yep. like be outside. We'll be there. Yeah. Um, but lawn bowling was really fun. It's like bocce ball. Are you familiar with bocce? So I know what it is, but I would not say I know much about it. Okay, we don't we don't need to get into this. This okay. is not a bocce ball podcast, so that's <laughs> fine. It, but it was a really cute afternoon experience, especially with coworkers and friends. You know, speaking of friends, it's kind of my thing. Y'all know I love friends. Okay, it is like th- friendship is a theme that comes up in literally every check-in for you. Yeah, I'm just trying to be on brand and also want to clarify, yes, friendship. Thank you for saying mm-hmm, that because mm-hmm. it's not the show Friends. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I've seen it. It's fine. It's whatever. It's Did not age well. Fatphobic mm-hmm. AF. Yeah. So, but I love friendship. Yes, you do. Yes, yes, yes. you so do. And uh, one of the things that factors into cats in my friendship mm-hmm. is that we just saw book smart oh, book smart yeah so it's a movie about two high schoolers about to graduate and head on to great college experiences and they realize that while they've been studious their classmates have been partying and enjoying life <laughs> and also are getting into prestigious schools and jobs as well so they have like one last night to live it up and like it sounds super cheesy i think when i first saw the trailer i was like what is this trash another teen movie which like i love my fair share of teen movies but, no. but it was so entertaining so entertaining it was like so a a 90s film I really love is called Can't Hardly Wait and Mm -hmm. this feels like a better more feminist with it version of Can't Hardly Wait because it's like last final party before we graduate kind of vibes before our lives change forever forever. Uh, yeah so I thought like my initial thought was like it was like super bad but directed by Olivia Wilde with an amazing soundtrack from Dan the Automator which so great to revisit his work um and it's just so many moments that were pure silliness <laughs> that reminded me of moments with my best friends yeah um like there's tons of them but there's this one moment when molly one of the characters says to her friend um, that she has a bad personality like personally molly has a bad personality and her friend amy slaps her and says don't you ever talk about my best friend that way again i'll lay you out for real yeah and <laughs> 
<laughs> like I don't want to condone slapping your friends, but I just love the way that that came out and how they so uh, like viciously, but like like primally show up for mm-hmm, each other. Mm-hmm. And I love that. Also, um, Jessica Williams is yes. in it, and she's a fave from The Daily Show and Two Dope Queens and like a kick a quick like. Uh, role in the most recent Harry Potter movie. <laughs> so random. We got like Will Forte and Lisa Kudrow. Oh, friends. Oh. Um, we're again, not talking about friends here, but <laughs> I am a fan of Booksmart. That was really fun to see with you as well. Yes, me too. Big fan. I'm still LOLing about lots of scenes, but one in particular that involved, what else? An audiobook. <laughs> also very on brand. I love friendships and Cat Will's audiobooks. Yeah, what can I say? <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, so other than Booksmart, uh, we, Kat and I, had a cute moment the other day while, uh, where we were interviewed about body positivity in the Twin Cities by a Star Tribune reporter. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm not sure where the article will go, but it was nice to be reflective and consider how cool it is that we get to talk about this on a regular basis. It's pretty rad. So cool. So cool. Well, I was going to say, like, good and cool at the same time, and it came out as cool. I was also halfway yawning. <laughs> Sorry, y'all. <laughs> Behind the scenes. Um, okay. <laughs> So um, we have been doing a lot of fun stuff together. So not only did we get to the interview and went go to see Booksmart, Soraya was kind enough to go with me to a fundraiser it recently. Was, yeah, it wasn't kind. It was so cool. It was kind of you to take me with you, bro. It was awesome. Mm. And I did so much appreciate you going with. Um, it was a fundraiser for uh, the Twin Cities chapter of the New Leaders Council. NLC is an organization focused on progressive millennial leadership. It pro- it's, so there's like a fellowship program, and it provides fellows and then the alum of the program with opportunities to engage with and challenge current policymakers to create blueprints to tackle current and future policy issues and to support one another along their individual path to a more progressive political and cultural landscape. Amazing. These are a few of my favorite things. So good. Um, I was a fellow several years ago, actually, in the Louisiana chapter when I lived in New Orleans. um, And I've been really interested in getting more involved with this chapter locally. So I was excited to go to their fundraiser. And I was so happy you joined me, Soraya. It was so much fun. The people were amazing. And I'm excited to see how I can apply and get involved with it, too. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. um, What else? I've been doing a lot of water walking at Cardio Bay. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Break it down. What What is this? So, um... In Edina, no, not Edina, Egan. I get this suburb. There's mixed a lot up. of E <laughs> suburbs out of there. Um, in Egan, there is a water park called Cascade Bay. Uh, it is 32 minutes from my home, but I've been driving out there pretty re- frequently um, because in the mornings they call it Cardio Bay and there's like outdoor water workout classes, such a fave. And then you can walk around the lazy river. Um, so, like, either with the current or against the current. Um, and it's just really fun. Um, so, I've been doing a lot of that. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. I also got acupuncture for the first time. I think I liked it. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to work through some like Achilles tendonitis, plantar fasciitis stuff. Self-diagnosed mm. from Google, of course. WebMD, my favorite <laughs> doctor. Um, but I'm working on it. I've also been uh, naturally listening to some good audiobooks. And I'm planning uh, my vacation for next month. I'm going Ooh. on a summer vacation, a two-week road trip. Road trip time. So excited. Other than that, generally just kind of loving life at work. I love my team. I'm obsessed with our lawn furniture at the shop. <laughs> totally normal thing to <laughs> be obsessed with. I love summer styles. I love my customers. I love that the fat splashes both sold out. That um, is really cool. We just had some professional photos taken at the shop, too, and they're just so – I'm just – I am just in love. I'm in love with it all. All is well. Wonderful. That is excellent. And what a nice way to wrap up the fat dish so we can dive into a wonderful and excellent interview. 
Episode 3 means we've got a fabulous guest for you. We're excited to share our interview with Nancy Alione. Nancy owns a Salvadorian food truck, Quetzal Street Eats. Oh, and we should mention, so this is one of a couple episodes this season where the studio had some microphone issues. Community radio, y'all. Yeah, so, okay, basically we all shared one microphone for this interview, um, so you don't really hear from Soraya at all. <laughs> but let's be real, she still comes up with all the follow-up questions, she mm-hmm. just relays them to me. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also a lot of me kind of offering, like, loud exclamations me off too. mic in the background. I was just farther away, yeah, so it didn't that's pick true. up. <laughs> uh, but what's really important is that we got to capture Nancy's story, and that, after all, is what Matter of Fat is here for. Nancy, we're so happy you're with us today. Yeah, no, I'm so very excited to be here. Awesome. So let's start by asking you what we ask everyone, which is tell us your story as a matter of fat. Yeah, of course. I think this is like a great um, question that I really had to ask myself before kind of coming here today yeah. is, you know, what is that? What how is that part of my identity? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that identity is something that is a process. It's a learning process and it doesn't just kind of appear to you, right? You don't really just wake up one day and like, oh, this is how I identify or this is who I am. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's a process of learning more and more about yourself. And so I think one of the um, main parts of who am I as a matter of fact, right? I think really comes down to, um, I'm an immigrant. I moved here when I was five years old from El Salvador. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of my pri- my primary identity. Like, yeah. I identify as an immigrant. And I we moved into um, a predominantly white neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And I went to predominantly white schools. And knowing that I always looked different than mm-hmm. my peers, I couldn't compare myself to them, right? And I think that identity sometimes comes with comparing yourself, like, who am I compared to somebody else? Yeah. Um, and I didn't really have that because I just knew that I was I was different. I was one of the only two people of color. And so I understood as my truth that people came in different shapes and sizes and colors and that was my normal, mm-hmm. um, which is a part of my identity yeah. um, for sure um, that has like really shaped how I view myself and how I view body image and um, has only kind of grown from there. Um, I think that uh, what also helped build kind of this identity piece for myself and how I identify is I'm a Latina and I think coming from that cultural background, um, especially from the women in my family and in my family, like women's bodies were always celebrated and your body was always celebrated. That's awesome. So I come from this space of privilege, right, where I've just had always had this really positive outlook in, mm-hmm. in myself and how I look and owning that piece of it um which I understand is a privilege because not everybody grows up with that right I didn't have that issue um and I can really really that really is testament to um my mother and how she um instilled kind of those values in us that was never you know it was more about it was never how you looked or it was about if you're fed and are you hungry you know like are you rested are you healthy are you loved Mom, are you safe you know awesome. yeah <laughs> instead of um kind of what we looked at our appearance so yeah. I think that that kind of really builds with that um and then I think that then kind of going from there um I think that with this privilege right, this, this positive outlook and body image and who I am I think then you learn a little bit about who, how you identify, and then really learning then this 
how you want to look at yourself and then how you want to show up for kind of the world, right? And how you want to show up for other people. Um, So then I took these aspects of like my normal with my family and my normal as being different and being this immigrant and realized that for a while then, then I think that you try to like assimilate, right? And Mm -hmm. then just act like you're the same as everybody else, which you're not, (laughs) right? And we know that, right? Like, we're not. And I think I, I, knowing that from a young age, and they're like, well, I I can be like everybody else, or I can, you know, I am the same, which you're not. And you celebrate these differences of who you are. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I think most recently with this, um, even in the space of, like, having a positive self-image and being really body positive, learning how much that is a part of my identity and Mm -hmm. how much that is a part of myself. And I think, like, learning that there are so many systems in place around us that make it that – that prevent us from having those positive identities with ourselves, Yeah, you know, and then kind of breaking through that – it's so important to own that part of your identity, right? It's mm-hmm. big. It's a really big part of me. I think it's because I really believe in women's rights and being restricted to how much space you take up, right, right is, um, is a part of fighting for those women's rights. It's owning your space, owning the space you occupy, owning mm-hmm. the space that you take up, mm-hmm. um, and owning how important that part of my identity is. And I'm just starting to learn that now. I'm just starting to own that now and to grow from there. So Awesome. Nancy, we're so in love with the work you do with Ketal, your food truck, um, both in terms of like the delicious food because you've turned me on to pupusas and I cannot, I can never go back, um, but also like the beautiful mission behind your business. So can you talk about like what inspired you to start Ketal? Yeah, of course. Um, I'm so happy that you love Ketal so much and pupusas. It makes me so happy. <laughs> That's exactly what we wanted to do. Um, yeah, Ketal came out from like a kind of a lot of different areas. Um, we started we launched in September and it's kind of took me like three years to kind of get myself to a space where like okay I'm gonna do it right (laughs) um so a lot of things kind of played a role first and foremost like my food is pretty much everything to me it's a really big part of my life it's we probably should have talked about it as part of my identity. <laughs> um, it's I think that we learn so much from um, each other when we invite each other to um, to kind of eat together. I think it's a really big sense of community. Um, I think it's a very big way in um, a really great way for us to learn about other cultures mm-hmm. um, and food. Who makes it, where it comes from, who grows it, why we're eating it, everything to do with the concept of like not just, you know, what we're putting in our mouths, but how it makes us feel and everything about food um, is really important to me. So um, when I thought about opening a business um, and I knew that right away, I knew that I wanted to open up um, a business and just trying to find the best way of um, of kind of incorporating all of these uh aspects of food and culture and like um my my own culture and how to share that kind of came to be with Ketal um so I think a big part of that too came from the political climate change uh there's a lot of stories about El Salvador and Salvadorian people and I really wanted to kind of take back that narrative and really own it so that we can share our own stories and that we can really share you know the best parts of our culture so that was 
kind of another part, right? I was trying to find this beautiful way of doing that. So really wanted to incorporate food, um, owning the narrative of our culture. I think that at the time and, and still now, the food scene in the Twin Cities is really expanding and has been for the last, you know, couple of years. What I think was a big part of what was missing in the Twin Cities kind of food scene was the authenticity aspect about it. Yes. It's huge. Um, I think that um, I wanted to create a space where there's so much story behind the food that we eat. And so when you come to Ketal, right, I want you to know that there's a story behind the food that you're eating that is very personal and it's a it's a great way of, like, it, we're sharing something with you. You're taking something away from it when you come and eat um, this food. So I thought, you know, I think this is a great, you know, place to start. I was like, you know, I want to share with our community what's missing is really good Salvadorian food. We only have a couple of Salvadorian restaurants in the Twin Cities, all which are great. We should try them. <laughs> um, but really taking, you know, taking the traditions of my family, the recipes of my family, the work that the women do around food in my family, and then really adding this like really good modern twist kind of everything which owning the traditions but really kind of expanding it and adding new flavors and um with that so um and lastly it was really a big way to honor my mom she um I get you know has said you know she we immigrated here when we were in 1991 I was five years old and I think she lost um, that I think, you know, she has really talked a lot about with me about kind of losing that big sense of identity for herself, mm-hmm. um, comfort and home. And so she's always kind of lived in this place where she didn't feel welcomed or comfortable all the time and that she really lost that space. And so I wanted to create a space that we could not only share our culture, but really celebrate it. And I think that that's what we're doing with Ketal. We're, you know, a Salvadorian food truck. It's street food. It's delicious food. There's so much good story behind it. I mean, it's really, really yummy. It's so delicious. It's my new favorite thing. (laughs) I'm obsessed, Nancy. It's so good. And it's just lovely to hear, like, all of this beautiful, rich story that's part of you that informs what you're doing in your business. You mentioned, like, tradition and then kind of, like, changing and morphing traditions to add more, like, a new twist to things. Can you talk more about that? Because that's just so cool. Yeah, of course. I think, you know, this took a process of kind of gathering all of the recipes. I talked to my grandma. I talked to my aunt. I talked to my mom. And I took all of these um Family recipes that have been handed down from women to women to more prominently women, women to women in my family and can kind of compile them, right? But then you think, okay, well, these we've been doing this for so long. These are truly traditional flavors. But I think that there's – I wanted to bring in new flavors and new ways of experiencing the pupusas. Or, and so traditionally, they're filled with their aceda bean, which is traditional to El Salvador in Central America. Um, it's kind of a mix between a brown and a red bean. Um, cheese and then chicharron, which is um, like pork. Um we use pork butt and uh, right it's so good it renders in its own fat it's delicious um, and then yeah so pork beans and cheese and now you're finding different flavors in El Salvador but that hasn't always been the case but I one day I was cutting up chilies this is the story of how I knew that we were going to open up <laughs> Ketel um, my um, my so People like spicy food, and traditionally, El Salvadorian food is not spicy. We just don't cook with a lot of spices. Um, but I was cooking up chilies, and I was had some 
I was had roasted some shrimp. I was like, this would taste just phenomenal in a pupusa. Just combining these really yummy spiciness with the, you know, the shrimp and the cheese and smelty and delicious. And I made it and my mother was just like, could not believe that I was stuffing a pupusa with anything <laughs> other than pork beans and cheese. And I was like, mom, you're going to try it. It's going to be delicious. You know, I was like, I know that this is not the way you've done it, but you can do it. Um, and then I made it for her and she was like, oh my God, this is so good. I'm like, I know we can add new things. We can kind of build off of these flavors that are traditional, but um, that we can expand on that and kind of bring new flavors too. There's a really spicy beef and cheese, which is our especial, and we always have it. It's so good. <laughs> it's so delicious. Um, and it's spicy and it's savory and we use beef brisket. But again, it's not a traditional filling for a pupusa, but I think it brings new fresh and new flavors and a twist on kind of the way that it's always done, which is true. We can incorporate, we can grow and try new things um, as a culture, just kind of expanding our flavors. So. You have a really interesting perspective and one that I really appreciate about emotional eating. And I would love for you to share that with us and like talk a little bit more so our listeners can hear your perspective. Yeah, of course. Um, I, know, I hear people say, and this was recently, I think people always say, you know, oh, I'm I'm an emotional eater. And my first response and my first thought has always been that's the only kind of eater I am. <laughs> I am only emotion-based eater. Um, and I think as a person who makes food for a living and puts a lot of love and, um, and story, right, behind the food that we make, I think that I want you to feel something. We, you know, I think there's this really negative a stigma around what we call emotional eating. And I think that because of society, that's looked at as something that's really negative. And I'm, I think I'm not, I'm not here to talk about people's personal relationships with food, but I think that, I think it's something to challenge. I feel like if you come home and say, oh, I really need a, you know, a, a stiff drink after work, right? It's more okay or it's acceptable. But if I come home and like, oh, I just really need a really good comforting food, you know, to not to not only make you know feed myself, but to make myself and comfort myself from the day I have, um, I think is also okay, right? Um, and again, I would challenge ourselves to think that we all are emotional eaters. There's a lot of emotion and memories that are attached to food, um, and that's normal and it's healthy and um, it provides us with a, a comfort that we only get from that. I, I'm 32 years old. I have a family. I'm, you know, I have a food chick. But when I'm sick, I still crave my mom's, you know, chicken vegetable soup. And that brings me a lot of comfort. And that's attached to a person and a memory. And that's okay. And I, again, it's just challenging the stigma around what it means to connect emotion with food. And I think that again having emotions there's it's completely normal and it's okay and if if food is an avenue to that again if you're going to go to any place and a chef is going to create something for you or you're going to experience something i know that they're going to want you to feel something when you're eating it and instead of having this guilt and your shame associated because food makes you feel good food definitely makes me feel good <laughs> right and it's again it's again the sense of community and support that you get when you're eating and especially when you're eating with others and yeah. you're surrounding yourself with that comfort so 
How did you decide to do a food truck? Or like what made you make that decision in terms of opening your business that way? Yeah, I think predominantly or first and foremost, um, it was a there's a big barrier to entry with any business. And I feel like this is the um, although it's still a big financial investment, um, but it's still a lot less than any other way of introducing kind of like a food, a restaurant. Mm -hmm. Um, And also it allowed us to then move within the Twin Cities um, to kind of bring it to people and share it with people. And our goal is to share it with everybody in the community to really introduce what pupusas are to our community as a whole. I think everybody knows what a taco is, a burrito is, and Mm -hmm. it's, oh, well, you should also know what a pupusa is. (laughs) Okay, and this seems maybe silly, but for our listeners who don't know what a pupusa is, Mm -hmm. can you tell us? Yeah, pupusas are, um, they're thick corn tortillas. They're made with masa, um, and they're filled with different, like, savory fillings, usually, like, a meat and a cheese combination, Mm -hmm. and traditionally, they're filled with um, pork, beans, um, and, well, chicharron, beans and cheese but now there's a variety of other fillings that you can um put in there but that's our traditional food it's we eat it kind of it's our street food it's our home food it's kind of it's our national dish so so at matter of fat of course we are all about the midwest sensibilities how do you think you and your business are impacting midwestern culture I think that's our goal is to to impact midwestern culture Mm -hmm. I think you know you think about and uh, food trends and food access, uh, accessibility kind of on the West Coast, right? Everything happens in, you know, in the East Coast or the West Coast, and then it kind of trickles in. Um, but I think that we are expanding our food scene. I think people are having access to um, more international foods, and we really want to um, bring Central American food, specifically Salvadorian food, to kind of the forefront. We want you to know um, that there is... Um, Food outside of Mexican food is delicious, right? But that's not the only um, Latin American food that you can enjoy or that you can know. Um, And just kind of bringing more voice to Salvadorian culture as a whole. Okay, small business owner, what can locals do to help support your business? Other than coming out and trying pupusas <laughs> for yourself and the food truck, um, that's, of course, number one is seek us out, um, try our food, try something new, um, learn a little bit about Salvadorian food and culture when you're coming out. Another big thing is I always hate that I never take the chance. When people come, we have so many lovely people stop at the truck and say, oh, I loved it, or that was the first time I tried it. It was so delicious, or you know, I've never had this before. Um, and all this really good feedback is, I know it's simple. I know it's been said before, but it, how awesome it is that to just share or post and recommend. Yeah. Um, but social media plays a really big role. We, just, like I we launched in September, so we're really new, um, and so just really growing um, our social media presence. So the more that you people know where we're at, the more people will come and um, and enjoy the food truck. So. In addition to that, um, how can people find you? Right, tell us your social links. Tell us about you and your business, so if people who are listening today can start to follow you and hopefully provide support. Yeah, we are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We are working on launching kind of our um, our big kind of website to give us a full calendar of where we will be. Right now, we just post kind of weekly. Uh, but we are at KTEL Street Eats, um, and that's our handle for Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Awesome. Everyone needs to go follow you. And is there anything else you'd like to share? 
Yes, just really, you know, putting your support behind locally owned businesses, women owned businesses, uh, women of color owned businesses, immigrant owned businesses, really just going out there and supporting the stories behind the work that we're doing. Yes, yes, yes. Nancy, thank you so much for telling us your story as a matter of fact. Ooh, that was so fun. Nancy is just the best. She is. And seriously, our mouths were watering the entire time we recorded this. Just thinking about the pupusas and the melty cheese and the other delicious food that Ketal serves up. We have to go eat Ketal soon. And we hope you do too. Nancy let us know that they're getting into their busy season, so you can follow them on social media to get updates about where where they'll be each week. Yeah, and last week they were out serving five days, so there's lots of opportunities to patronize and enjoy those delicious pupusas and yucca. And delicious cilantro cream sauce, of which I could probably drink a gallon. I don't think that's true (laughs) or good. (laughs) It's not really meant to drink, but I could dip on it. (laughs) Okay, it's suspicious but it's good and that's a weird flex but anyways we'll link their social media in our show notes you gotta go follow Nancy also shared that they have a big event coming up at Ladonia on Sunday June 16th for Ladonia's Women's World Cup Street Fair fun oh my gosh oh and you know what else football is- okay <laughs> you know what else is fun <laughs> dirt, dirt and, and discourse, discourse. it's time for the dirt and discourse This is where we dive into the excitement and discomfort around relevant pop and cultural happenings. Yeah, so a group within my work is doing this really cool thing where they highlight different queer organizations and people of note each day in the month of June. Um, Through this, I was introduced to GLSEN, which aims to create a safe learning environment regardless of sexual orientation, gender expression, or gender identity for K-12 students. Um, Since Kat and I are not part of the queer community, we'd like to highlight this article about six things LGBTQ youth want allies to do do this pride so it's a listicle yeah love me a listicle mm-hmm. um so glisten's national student council suggests allies engage in self-education be conscientious of who you and others are supporting financially follow the money yep. actively engage and listen uh, and stop censoring queer expression so please take some time to read the article which we've linked out in the show notes to explore other great activities glisten's bringing to communities everywhere and out of this advice comes a really poignant question is it supportive if it has a rainbow flag on it it sort of feels like everyone's out here selling something with rainbows on it and trying to call it radical one highly problematic fave that's already on our collective shit list for expanding their sizing down without increasing and expanding up is Lane Bryant's Cacique Intimates brand. I see them pretty actively advertising their rainbow collection, and I don't know, in some ways it might be positive. Like, they are donating a very small portion of their profits of these items to Glisten. Actually, the orgs Ray I just mentioned. Mm-hmm. But it kind of feels disingenuous, like maybe too little or a lot of talk and not a lot of action. But I guess I'm, it's not like really up for me to decide. Um, but I wonder how it feels for folks in the LGBT community who patronize Lane Bryant. Like, do you, do you think they really care about the queer community or are they just sort of happy to make a buck? Yeah. And so, like, thanks to social media, I saw something that connected to this. It was a Twitter thread from Fran Tirado at Francisco. Cute. It's a good name. I just can't say it. (laughs) And uh, I'm going to basically reread it because, as I've demonstrated, uh, it's perfection and I will only ruin it. But um, it is really great, though. It's so good. Fran Tirado did a great job. And so make sure to check out the show notes for the full rundown. So first, Fran writes, good morning. Happy June to all brands launching a pride campaign. A reminder, you are about to capitalize on our identity slash marginalization for corporate gain. It is therefore worth giving a second thought to your 
limited edition rainbow <laughs> product. Here, let me help. Second post. The following are ineffective slash vacuous ways to engage with a queer community. Limited edition rainbow products, vague quote-unquote love is love messaging, disembodied hand-holding, a t-shirt, parentheses, which we are well aware of is the lowest cost endeavor with the fastest turnaround. Third post. Any for-profit venture without a queer nonprofit partner, having a queer nonprofit partner but donating less than 15% of the proceeds, <clears throat> having a queer nonprofit partner but not disclosing the amount you plan to donate, which we only read as a thinly veiled quote unquote not that much. Fourth post, recycling last year's pride campaign, straight slash cis people developing your campaigns, underpaying queer slash trans people to develop your campaigns, underpaying queer slash trans artists to create original work for your for-profit products, uh, using rainbow in lieu of an actual idea. Mm. Fifth post, consider donating 100% of profit to a queer org, hiring several, parentheses, not just one queer slash trans creative to develop your campaign, removing your product from the idea, investing real money in the idea, educating slash activating tell a fucking story and doing so 12 months of the year six post also if you're casting make sure it is intersectional as hell yes seventh post there are really a lot of people in my mentions out here defending corporations corporations i love materialism as much as the next gay but capitalism got y'all brainwashed eighth post a lot of people also being like quote but representation, that counts for something, unquote. Maybe 20 slash 10 years ago, sure. But queer inclusion is no longer the exception. It is the standard. Mm. Ninth post. If we don't hold brands accountable to better ideas, they will continue to see us as one-dimensional rainbow dollar signs, capitalizing on our oppression and giving nothing back for decades to come. Honestly, and this is Surya talking Check out this thread because there are some quality memes and thoughts about Fran's suggestions and ways to engage with his work. Yeah, that is so good. And definitely something to think about. So I guess fashion-wise, like one roundup that I thought did a pretty good job of centering the right stuff was from Elise at Ready to Stare. She shared a big list of places you can get plus-size rainbow wares and made sure to note which uh, places offered sizes above 24, which businesses were queer-owned, and or which were giving money to LGBT organizations. Plus, she's part of the LGBT community, so I'm more comfortable taking recommendations from her. For sure. That's for one sure. that we'll definitely link mm-hmm. in the show notes as well. Yeah. So... Uh, yeah, this edition of Follow the Money. Um, <laughs> We're rebranding Dirt edition, and Discourse. Yeah, which I guess, right? Uh, no. But in this Dirt and Discourse about following the money, um, we just want to encourage you, as always, to consider who makes money and who's really benefiting when you buy stuff, you know? Research for yourself and listen to the folks in the queer community. That's a wrap, friends. Hope you enjoyed the Dirt and Discourse. Ah, uh, and our interview with the one and only Nancy Alione of Ketal Street Eats. And all the wonderful events in June. Please, please, please subscribe, rate, and review our podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen. Join our friends and fans Facebook group. And catch us in two weeks for another episode of Matter, Matter of Fat. Fat. It was good. 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 It was good.